My Savior is living in heaven right now. Many loved ones are waiting to go. Those mansions are ready to welcome us home. My Savior, He loves me so. I want to see heaven, my Savior is there. The gates made of pearl, those streets of pure gold. The light from God's throne will surround us with love. How lovely it's great to be home. That city is ready, Christ Jesus is there. His kingdom prepares us to come. My heart must be ready to see that great day. My Savior, He loves me so. I want to see heaven, my Savior is there. The gates made of pearl, those streets of pure gold. The light from God's throne will surround us with love. How lovely! It's great to be home. Last Sunday, we looked at Christ's first coming and the importance of that message. I mean, after all, just think about how important it is that you know and that you believe that Christ has come and all the great things that Christ did whenever he did come. I mean, his first coming was so important. But today, what I want us to look at is the second coming of Christ, because after all, the first and the second, the first and second coming of Christ, both of them are extremely important to us. And in fact, for us who are Christians, on a weekly basis, the two are kind of meshed together, at least to a degree, whenever we partake of communion. Now, I know that we oftentimes don't really think about communion being a combination of of reminding us of the first coming, but then also reminding us and looking forward to the second coming. But it does. That's why the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verse 26, whenever he talked about the Lord's Supper, he said, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, there's an element of both comings in there. Because what do we proclaim whenever we partake of these things? Well, we are proclaiming the Lord's death that happened at his first coming. But we do that until he comes. So really, we are also proclaiming his second coming. And I I love to point that out to us as Christians and kind of remind us. And I I guess I do that to remind myself just as much as anyone else that when we take of communion on every first day of the week, we are reminded of Christ's first coming and the importance of, of that death on the cross for each and every one of us. But then we are also reminded with that that Christ is going to be coming back. Another way of looking at it is Christ's first coming. We have faith that Christ came the first time and that he accomplished all these things that that he came here to accomplish. But now we have hope that Christ is coming a second time. And his second coming is going to be very, very different than his first coming. And with that, we need to be ready. We need to be, be waiting his arrival, his return. his second coming. Whatever you want to call it, it's all the same thing that that Christ is coming back. And we have this message to proclaim. We also have a warning to proclaim to people who who need to hear that warning. Because some people don't even know about his first coming, much less his second coming. We as Christians are aware of both. How much do we tell people about both comings of Christ? 
This morning, I want us to look at, at 2 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to notice this uh, this talking about the, the second coming of Christ. Now, this probably isn't the, the passage that we automatically think about whenever we think about Christ coming back. But it, I think at least, helps us put a lot of things in perspective. And now at the, the end of the year, and as we're kind of getting ready for a new one to begin soon, this is a good reminder for us that Christ is going to return. So what does that mean about us right here and right now? Well, let's take a look at it together. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now, the second coming is kind of interesting because you have a few things coming together in here. And, you know, sometimes we think about the second coming of Christ as being a kind of a day that's, that's not so good. You know, we kind of think about it in negative terms. But I want to remind you, we as the church do not need to fear the return of Christ. In fact, this is where our hope is. Because we have faith and because we, we, we hope that Christ will return, we believe that Christ will return. Because of those things, that just goes along with this faith that we have in his first coming. The fact that he did come to this earth, that he lived his life. He gave us a way to live our lives. He died on that cross. He was buried, but then he rose. He ascended into heaven and he's going to return. This is all part of the gospel. And in this passage, you know, we, we see that some people are today are still saying the same things that they were saying during Peter's day. And what they were saying was, you know, where is this coming that you're speaking of? Another way of asking this question is, how long? You know, throughout the scriptures, a lot of times in the Old Testament, you will find people asking the, that of God. You know, how long, God, before you do this or that thing? Oftentimes it's, you know, how long are you going to allow this wickedness to take place? When are you going to pronounce judgment? Well, the second coming of Christ is that day in which judgment will happen for, for all the nations. It, it's that ultimate day of judgment. How long is that going to happen? Or how long will it take before that happens? Well, people during Peter's day and people during our own day, they are asking that question, how long? You know, when is he going to come? You know, where is this coming that he has promised? See, some people have the same mentality that, that's mentioned here in Second Peter. They say that everything goes on since it has, since the beginning of creation. Is that really the case? I mean, notice what Peter goes on to right after that. He says, look, they are deliberately overlooking. They are deliberately forgetting. They are deliberately turning away from the fact that God brought judgment in the days of Noah. That's what he brings up. He brings up about that water that washed clean the sin that was on the earth. And along that, we also have this, this promise that there's going to be another worldwide cleansing in the future. It's not going to be by water. No, it was part of the promise to Noah and to us even today that God's never going to destroy the, the earth by water again. 
He will destroy it by fire, though. And we find out that that this destruction is maybe a little bit different than than what we might think of. You know, sometimes we we think about this as just being destroyed and everything's just, you know, going to be done away with. Personally, I like to look at this and, and to recognize that that fires, they can destroy things. Without a doubt, they can destroy things. But, you know, fire can also do something else. It can purify. And for us who are who are, are Christians and who are holding on to the things that last, that moment, that thing that we oftentimes consider it destroying by fire, it's actually going to be more of purifying. Purifying of, of things that this wickedness and, and the evil things and the, the things that are just messed up in the world and in creation around us. And we are looking forward to something new. We're looking forward to something wonderful. Now, the present heavens and the earth, they are reserved for fire. There is going to be a day in which, you know, time as we know it and, and life as we know it is going to change forever. We can say it's going to cease to exist. And I guess that's an OK way of putting it. But really, life itself is not going to cease to exist. But life as we know it, it will one day. Everything as we know it is going to change in the future. So how long is that going to take? Well, we find out that that just acting like things are always going to continue on, just like they have from the very beginning, it's not always a good thing. In fact, Peter speaks pretty negatively about it. He's saying that if you have that mindset, you are deliberately forgetting that God has brought about judgment in times past, and he is going to bring about judgment in the future. Okay, so how long? We're not really told. We're not told exactly how long, but we are told the type of event that it's going to be. But, you know, we still might have questions about that because, yeah, it's still we look at the world around us. Sometimes we might think, you know, it's getting really bad. How long is it going to be before God just comes and just changes something, steps into our history and, and, and alters it forever? And we might ask this next question, and that is, why the wait? Why is God waiting? What is he seeking to accomplish? Now, I don't pretend to know everything about why God does what he does, but I think here in 2 Peter chapter 3, we get a little bit of insight into why God is waiting. Verses 8 through 10. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So this passage right here reminds us, you know, whenever we start thinking, okay, how long? Why is God waiting? What is he doing? Let's not forget this one thing. See, time for us is very different than time for our Lord. You know, uh, some people, you know, they, they look at this and, and they, they point this out. And it, it's so important for us to point these things out because, I mean, how do you even count time for the creator? You know, he's the one who is outside of time. He, he made time. A thousand years is like a day. A day is like a thousand years. It just basically means there is no real time that our God is, is confined with. And also, he's not slow in bringing about the things that he is going to bring about. When he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. He's going to do it in his time, not our time. 
whether that might be that you know it's in a day or two days or in a thousand or two thousand years. We're not really told the timetable as to how God works. Not usually. Throughout the Bible, we might get a little bit of insight into those things here and there. But this one, we are just told that he's not slow in, in, in keeping his promise. He's not just slacking off. Not like that. Instead, what we see is we see the patience of God. That's why he's waiting. He is patiently waiting. What is he patiently waiting for? He's patiently waiting because what he wants is he doesn't want anyone to perish, not a single person to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. You and I have been given this wonderful blessing, this wonderful ability to be able to repent, to be able to come to God and be able to to allow him to work in us, to allow him to to mold us into the type of being that we have been called to be since the very beginning. Our Lord, he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. He wants everyone to come and to be a part of his family. And we see that what he has said, it will happen. These elements, they are going to be destroyed by fire. Everything around us, it will be destroyed at some point. It will be laid bare, as the NIV says. But that leads us to our third thing. Our, our next thing that we're going to be looking at in this this passage and that is so what should we be doing right here and right now what should we do in second peter chapter 3 verses 11 through 15 this is what peter goes on and he he tells us what we need to be doing okay we might ask our questions about you know how long and why is god waiting and and we've seen some answers to those we've seen that time doesn't work the way that it, it, it does for us it doesn't work that way with, with our lord he is patiently waiting. But during this time that he's patiently waiting, what do we need to be doing? Do we just need to be waiting around for the end of time as we know it? No, we have a task. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promises, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. So Peter there at the end, he says that, look, this isn't just something I'm saying. This is something that Paul is also saying. This is something that, you know, me, okay? I'm speaking for me, not Peter's perspective any longer. This is something that I'm saying too. This is something that all proclaimers of God's word need to be saying. We need to recognize that, okay, since these things about this earth, most of these things that, you know, we look around and that we see, since fire is going to come and it's going to destroy it. And it's going to get rid of all, uh, all all these things that we see. What does that mean about the type of people that we ought to be? Well, we ought to pay attention. We ought to recognize the importance of Christ's second coming, of Christ's return, uh, of the end of time as we know it. But we recognize here, even in this passage, that it's not the end of all time. It's the end of time as we know it. It's the end of the earth as we know it. But God has also promised something else. He's promised that whenever he comes, yes, he is going to burn up these things that we see. He's going to do away with, with a lot of these 
these wicked things and these evil things that are in the world. But we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. That's why whenever I look at this and I, I see this about fire and, and being destroyed, and uh, yeah, there's an element about that, that it's going to destroy everything. But I think it does us better um, if we focus on the fact that that fire is not really to destroy everything. It is to refine these things. Because out the other side, we see that we are looking forward, just like verse 13 says, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. What's that going to look like? Well, he also says where righteousness dwells. See, all these things in the world, you know, we, we look at that and we kind of think about, you know, all, all these physical things that, that we have. But I, I mean, that's just kind of at the surface level. Quite literally, that's the surface level of what we're even looking at here. What we are seeing is that, that God is going to make all things new. He is going to make a new heaven, a new earth. Righteousness is going to be there. Now, there is some righteousness here on the earth. But in that one, it's going to be different. Things are going to be different. That's why I like to view it as it's a refining fire, because we see that it doesn't end everything. It's simply a new beginning. And with that new beginning, we see a bright future. We also see this call of the type of people that we ought to be. Verse 11, we ought to be holy. We ought to live godly lives. And then also in verse 14, we need to make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. This patience that, that God is, is showing us and waiting so long until he, he makes everything new. This patience, what, what Peter says here is, it means salvation. That's what it truly means. Now, you know, obviously because of God's patience that, that allowed you to be saved if you are saved. And if you haven't been saved, guess what? That patience of God is still extending to you today for you to be able to be saved. This is what we should be doing. We should be doing the very things that God has asked us to do from the beginning, that God wants us to do. And we should be waiting, hopefully waiting for that day whenever Christ returns. I wanna leave you with one final thought here. It's actually what, what the book of 2 Peter ends with. Verses 17 through 18. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So as we look at this, this end of, of Second Peter, we see that there is this warning, this warning that we need to be on our guard and make sure that what we believe is, is really the gospel message. That, that it's really there at the, at the heart of what God has been doing since the very beginning. We need to be on our guard for these false messages that can be around us. And we need to make sure that, that while we are on our guard, that we are actively growing, that we are becoming the type of people that God wants us to be. We can ask those questions, and, and rightfully, we, we were going to see people asking those questions. Sometimes we're going to be asking the questions about how long before God does something. Why is he waiting? But ultimately, whenever it comes down to it, we need to be focusing on what we should be doing. What do you need to do today in order to make sure that, that you stay right with God, to, to be able to continue to stay on his side? Is there something that needs to be done today that perhaps you've been putting off? God's patience has given you today. Make sure you use it. I run for the crown, I race for the prize.
I press toward the upward call of God. I run for the crown, I race for the prize, I press toward the upward call of God. I fight with all my might to keep on living for the Christ. I know there is a glorious end in sight. The crown of life, the crown of victory I shall wear. So I sing the song of triumph till I'm there. I run for the crown, I race for the prize. I press toward the upward call of God. I run for the crown, I race for the prize. I press toward the upward call of God. I fight with all my might to keep on living for the Christ. I know there is a glorious end in sight. The crown of life, the crown of victory I shall wear. So I sing the song of triumph till I'm there. I run for the crown, I race for the prize. I press toward the upward call of God.